Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Holy Spirit, we, we need your help tonight. We need your help connecting our hearts to what is true and what it, what it is you're doing. And so I pray right now, even as we've spent time in worship and our hearts have been touched, Lord, would you continue that ministry of your Spirit and just illuminate our minds, touch our hearts, tenderize our hearts to perceive the truth and how you may be speaking to us as individuals tonight as we look to your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title tonight is growing in love for Jerusalem, Israel, and the Jewish people. And that may seem out of like left field to you. So I'm just going to say that one more time, that growing in love for Jerusalem, Israel, and the Jewish people. And as I was praying about this in the last week or two, and in particular today, I just feel emboldened to say this. This may be the most important message of my entire life. This very message. I just feel like I should say that. I have shared many messages. In fact, Mandy said maybe not the most because I shared once and, yeah, it's a long story, but Mandy was really touched by the message. And so maybe not as important as that one to Mandy, but what what was that? No, well, when we were younger, I shared on having a quiet time and Mandy's like, I want to do quiet times. And then she ended up marrying me. And so... Anyway, long story short, it was the greatest message of my life. Yeah, so I was investing in my future wife. I didn't know it. But at that level, for real, I have felt a weightiness to this season like no time since I've been saved. There was this call given. This is under the introduction. There was just almost a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, People just started saying like, hey, we're going to start praying for Israel and then we're going to maybe fast. And then it just snowballed all over the world. And in a matter of weeks, there were thousands of prayer networks saying we are going to pray for Israel from May 7th to May 28th. And a couple of key leaders, Lou Engel, Mike Bickle uh, and others just said, we're going to do this. And then people started signing up on the website, Isaiah 62 Fast website. And it just turned into this huge thing, like out of nowhere. And they estimate right now, not sure if I have all the numbers written down, they estimate that there's at least 5 million Christians praying one hour a day minimum for this entire 21 days. I have made this commitment, and they estimate 5 million Christians worldwide. And if you go to the website, what's crazy is there's at least a hundred documents in different languages where people have translated the material on the website so that they could run with it in their uh, their language and their country. It's it's just out of nowhere seemingly, 
And so I'm like, I have always heard about like, okay, Israel's important. You know, it's all over the Bible. I have connected more in the last two, three or four weeks than I have ever imagined I would. And I felt like it was the Jehovah sneaky. The Lord just snuck up on us as the body of Christ and said, I want you to really focus on this for a few weeks. And so we're going to look at this, not only this Friday, but the next couple Fridays at least, and then going forward, going to prayerfully discern what to share on. But I want to just throw this out. This is still under the introduction, letter B. This was maybe a month or two ago. I was meditating on Acts 1 and 2, and I thought, I just had this thought, If 120 people in the upper room in the book of Acts could release that kind of revival that we see in Acts 2 through 28, uh, or is it is it 28 chapters? I'm, I might have to look that up. But the rest of the book of Acts, if 120 people praying in an upper room causes or results in that level of revival, I literally had this thought, having no knowledge of this fast at all. I thought to myself, what would happen if 120 million people prayed? Just out of nowhere. I thought, surely it would change the earth it, far more dramatically than in that hour it did. And then a few weeks later, we begin to hear about this fast. And then I heard this number thrown out that really caught my attention. This is crazy. I mean, this is truly staggering. This has never happened in history. There are going to be an estimated... On Pentecost Sunday, which is the last day of the fast, May 28th, there is an estimated 100 and, no, no, okay, 100 million Christians that will be praying specifically for Jerusalem, Israel, and the Jewish people that day. 100 million plus have, have gotten organized and top leaders who have influence over millions in their country because sometimes we think like, okay, we're aware of what's going on in America and maybe in another country or two. But there's so many movements in so many countries and there's so many prayer movements in different countries. And if you put a lot of them together, it equals so many, it equals in the hundreds of millions. And th- there is this almost, I mean, it's obviously God orchestrated of the Holy Spirit, but you could not do this without it being a miracle that on that particular day, 100 to 120 million will be praying specifically for this issue, the issue of Israel. When you hear numbers like that, you have to go, wow, what's happening? Not just cool, exciting, but like this is something that must be weighty. And what, what many people are saying is this is, you know, it's going to be Israel's 75-year anniversary this year. And they're facing right now the potential of civil war on one front, civil war in their nation, which this is a whole message. I don't even, I can't even have, don't have time to go into that. They're facing civil war in Israel right now. It's very real. And also the threat of nuclear annihilation from Iran. Those two things are very real right now. And I'm not going to get into politics tonight, but I'm going to get, we're going to go through, Lord, help me to cover this material. This is a crisis moment for Israel, for real. And many Christians are just totally not even like, what, Israel? I don't even know what that is. Is that a, Are we supposed to care? And the Lord is putting our hearts to a place where He's saying, I want you to care what I care about. I love these people, and I'm going to develop this. 
Um, so he's raising up prayer. The key verse here, Isaiah 62, which is kind of the main verse that they've locked into on this fast. It's Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. It's where God promised to put watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. God made this promise. He spoke to Isaiah many, many centuries ago. He said, Isaiah, one day there's going to be watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem praying for Jerusalem and they will never stop day or night until Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. Which that is very theologically significant. There's only one time in world history when Jerusalem is a praise in the earth and that is when the King of Kings is living in Jerusalem. So this, this has an eschatological uh, application. This is speaking of God raising up a massive prayer movement prior to His second coming. And when Jesus Christ descends to the earth, He's going to live in Jerusalem. That's His home city. He's going to live in Israel. He's not coming to Peoria, Illinois. I wish He'd come to Peoria, Illinois. That'd be cool. But He has a heart that burns with zeal for Jerusalem. That is His home city. Uh, that's where He's going to live forever. I mean, He's born in Bethlehem, raised in, in Nazareth, but He's camping out for eternity in Jerusalem. And so his heart is deeply connected to the city and to the nation. And I want what I want, what I feel the Spirit is doing is he's wanting to take our little community and even the broader church in central Illinois. He's saying, Come with me on a journey of getting acquainted with my heart toward the Jewish people. Because many of us just don't even think about it. We're like, oh, that's weird Israel thing. Ah. I took a class on that once. And that's where I've been for many years, but the Lord finally hooked me in. And He's like, I am Jewish. I will be forever. I love the Jewish people. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm going to live there forever. I have a plan for them. you got to know this stuff. Because the revival we're all thinking of, it has massively to do with the Jewish people. Because many of us, and American Christians, American evangelicals in general, want revival but what we're not thinking of is the peace that has to do with the Jewish people, which is massively to do with revival. Before we dive in, I'm going to make five pretty significant points tonight, but before that, just look at number two briefly. I just have basic information on the Jewish people. Because I thought, if I'm going to share on this, I want to give a little bit of facts, demographic information, uh, just historical things that are just the main, you got to know this, once you start talking about the Israelites. There is so much that we could be said, but very briefly, uh, the modern state of Israel came into existence 1948. It's 75 years this year exactly. It, the, the nation of Israel was out of existence for nearly 2,000 years. It just wasn't a nation until our generation, which is a sign and a wonder that could be its own message. In 1948, the modern state of Israel, as we know it, was established, and there's a whole lot of neat stories there. And soon after, about a year and a half later, 1950, they declared Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now, they had to battle for that. Years later, there was a six-day war. Uh, they had to retake Jerusalem because there's been nothing but in an embattled existence for the Jewish people. There's, every time they do anything... They're surrounded by hostility. And, and just to be sure, Jesus wants Gentiles saved. He wants Jews saved. He wants Arabs saved. He wants every type of person saved. 
Okay, that's so critical to understand. But he, he's only made covenant, historical covenant, with one people group, and that's the Jewish people. And he'll never break that covenant. That same covenant that he's like, Abraham, you're, the covenant I made with you. And David, the covenant I made with you. And uh, Jacob, the covenant. Those covenants are binding. And he will not break them. And so he still thinks about them and he's, he's getting our attention. There's so much information here. I'm going to just kind of breeze through it. But if you had to guess at how many Jews were in the world today, I don't know what figure you're thinking, but it's about 15 million total in the whole earth. And so there's not that many. About 7 million live in Israel, and they estimate there's actually more living in the United States than in Israel, which is kind of remarkable when you think about it. Of the 9 million people that live in Israel, seven of them are Jewish. Seven to seven and a half are Jewish, ethnically. And seven to seven and a half Jewish people live in America. And so there's a tie between America and Israel that's unmistakable. And I have this theory, there's going to be pockets of revival among the Jewish people in our nation that's going to stir up America. We're not going to go too far into that. Um, but there's about 15 million in the world today. That's 0.02% of the global population. So we're talking about this small people group. God says, I just love them so much. I remember back, you know, when I led them from Moses to, you know, Joseph and Abraham and all these. I have led them all the way to this current year. I love them dearly. There's a couple other things I want to point out. Uh, some of the, mo the more noteworthy Jews in history. Albert Einstein was Jewish. He's a, he was a physicist. We all know that. Sigmund Freud was a psychologist. Elie Wiesel was a, was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was an author. He told stories about it. Um, we all know of the Holocaust. There's many people that are saying, trying to deny it today and all these things. We, we have to be clear on this. This was a real event. This is a staggering... I mean, I was doing a lot of research these past couple weeks. Two out of every three European Jews were killed under Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany. Two out of three. Six of the eight million. Six million out of the, uh, out of eight million were, I mean, nearly all of them were exterminated during that season of time. I mean, I was watching, a, we had a, a couple of weeks where our family was so sick and I was watching this uh, documentary on Nazi Germany. It is just so horrifying what, what was perpetrated upon the Jewish people. And God wants the church to be a prominent voice in the world today as anti-Semitism increases, as Jew hatred increases. I believe the church, born-again believers, are going to stand as an opponent to that spirit. Unlike during Nazi Germany, we're going to learn that lesson. We are going to be proponents that God loves the Jewish people, we love the Jewish people, we love everyone, but we're not going to stand for anti-Semitism. And I want to encourage you to wrestle with that in your own heart because um, they, it is important that we stand with the Jewish people because the Bible prophesies there's going to be a growing hostility against them. There's going to be a growing uh, persecution, and we as the church are going to say, no, 
We love them. We stand against that. Uh, there's a bunch of information there if you want to uh, just study more on your own time. I just did like Wikipedia searches, Google searches. But just wanted to, to kind of get some basic information, uh, kind of just so we know who we're talking about here. Um, but flip to the uh, second page there, if you would. And I'm just going to go through a couple of verses because if we have clarity on God's heart toward the Jewish people, we get more clarity on the gospel. We get more clarity on how God wants to move. Because there's this, there's this interconnected plan involving Jew and Gentile. You know, Paul said to the Romans that the gospel was for the Jew first, then the Gentile. And so there's this, like God, why? Okay, so they're 0.02% of the world population. Gentiles are 99.98% of the population. Why do you care so much about them? And God says, I'm in covenant with them. You make promises and break them. I don't ever for history. When I promise my people Israel, I am with you and I'll never forsake you. I mean that to the end of time. And so we kind of think of Israel sometimes as this theological point, And he goes, oh no, oh no. I, Yahweh God, the, you know, the creator of the ends of the earth, I am with this people through the dark seasons, through the ups, through the downs, and I will always love them. In Psalm 148, this verse touched my heart deeply this last week where it says that Israel is the people close to his heart. Psalm 148.14, he raised up a people uh, he, to the praise of his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. I wish it would say America or you know North America or something, but all through the Scripture, it's this one nation. These are the people that are close to my heart. If you look it up in the New King James, it says it's a people near to Him. It's a people. So God's saying this Israelite people, not just historical Israel, but contemporary Israel. I love them. They're so close to my heart. They're so near and dear to me. Um, if you think about the idea of you know someone being near and dear to you, I put here, you know, it could be anyone, but, you know, someone that's near and dear to you. I put, you know, maybe it's a, a, you cried out to the Lord for a baby. You know, I've, we know we have friends that were not able to have a child, and so they cried out to the Lord, and then the Lord miraculously gave them a baby, and so there's just that special love. Or, you know, there's stories of people trying to adopt kids, and it, there's so many barriers, and it took so many years, and then finally it happened, and so it's just all the more special and there could be many, many examples. But there's usually a few people in our life that are just absolutely near and dear to our heart. And that is kind of like, I mean, if you think of that, that's what the Jewish people are to God. God loves everyone. And He loves everyone equally. And He has no favorites. And yet, He has a history with the Israelites unlike any other people group. He has a covenant history with them. And they are so dear to Him. They're, they're so near to His heart. He feels uh, strong emotions about these people. 
The question I have is, if God feels that way, shouldn't we? If God has this love, if He has this affection for this people, shouldn't we? There's a few verses in Scripture. I have one written there. This is in the third dot under uh, letter A. Where it says, God likens the Jewish people to the apple of His eye. And God says that about individuals. God says that in a number of contexts in Scripture. But He says it about Israel to Zechariah. Whoever touches that people touches the apple of my eye. That's what He said. Which that's like the most sensitive part on your body. I mean, if anybody is like going to touch you, you're like, ah, that's, you recoil. And the idea is that, that He is very moved by them. He, he is, there's just no way to overstate His love for them. It says in, uh, this is letter B, Psalm 135, Israel is His treasured possession. God treasures Israel. They're near to Him, they're dear to Him, and they are like a treasure to Him. Think of, uh, think of this, what's your most treasured possession in life? What's the thing you love the most? An item, perhaps. I'm, I, I like weird news stories, you know. Every once in a while you'll see on the news there'll be some sports memorabilia sold for like $10 million or something. Or they found something in a cave and some collector bought it for a billion dollars. You know, those, are, those stories, I find them interesting. But, you know, that's kind of the idea of a treasured possession. And God says, my treasured possession in life is the Jewish people. That's who I want the most. And I love Gentiles and I love the whole world, but they are special among all people. And again, that can sound like, well, I thought we were all special. We're all equally special. And yet there's this covenant history. Excuse me. God sees and feels about this people like the greatest possession. And just like someone would, you know, be willing to spend all this money, they're like, all I want is this one, you know, item. And, you know, just to be joking with my kids, they, some of them are into Pokemon cards and they sell them to friends. And sometimes they'll sell one for like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. And because someone wanted it so bad. But, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate collector item, so to speak. God treasures this people. And, and we know the value of them based on what He was willing to purchase them for, which is His own Son. He shed His blood. I mean, God sent His Son and Jesus gave His life to redeem Jew and Gentile so that they would know Him. That's pretty... When you're willing to give your life that's when you know you really treasure the people you're giving your life for. I mean, anybody can talk, a good, but Jesus says, I'm going to prove it on that cross. Man. Now what I love here is, if you read that verse, Psalm 135, For the Lord has chosen Jacob. Jacob is synonymous with Israel. Jacob, of course, was what Israel was named before he was renamed Israel. You guys know the story. Jacob wrestled with God. And it says there, sometimes we read it wrong, it says Jacob prevailed. But the idea is that God had His way in His life. 
We never, it wasn't like Jacob got God on a bad day and he's like, I want you to bless me. I pinned you. Now you have to bless me. Ah. God goes, no, I enter into a wrestling season with people. God was wrestling with Jacob his whole life. And I'm trying to do something in you. So I'm wrestling, I'm squeezing, and I, and I finally got you to a point where you're transformed. And now out of this, out of this, you know, new person, not only a new name, but a new walk. He's limping. That, that speaks of a new walk with God. And it produced this people group that we know today as the Jewish people. And so even at the very beginning, you see this wrestle. And God saying, I remember when the Jewish people were all the way back and when it was Jacob. And I was wrestling with him because I knew what it would produce, a people that I love. Now we're going to spend in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Israel's future ministry, which makes everything that they've gone through make sense. But I, tonight I just more want to get God's heart for this people because we can, we can know the plan and where it's going and still not have God's love for them, which I think that's tragic. We, more than anything, we, we must have His heart for these people. Uh, I failed to mention this. It's in the, the introduction. There's maybe a couple thousand Jewish people in our community. And so when you pray for you know, Israel or the Jews or the Jewish people, sometimes people just think of Israel. But right here, we have a number of... Um, of uh, actually, I sent an email to the local rabbis recently. I, I was going to try to connect with them and just make friendship with them and, and just learn of them. Um, but there's, there's a, a community of, um, of Jewish people right here. Uh, what, uh, I'm going to keep going on uh, letter B here in a second. But interestingly, they, they say the most Jewish place in the whole earth, I don't know if you know this, it's not in Israel. It's actually, does anybody know? I have it, it's on my notes. It's in Brooklyn. The concentration of Jews in Brooklyn far surpasses even Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. There, there's a, over one and a half Jew, a million Jews in New York City. And, and the highest, you know, the most condensed population of them is in Brooklyn. Which, it's just staggering to me that, wow, God. And now that makes sense why other nations who say they want to destroy Israel, because that's what Iran says and they're, and their public addresses, they say this all the time. When we get a nuclear weapon, we're going to destroy Israel and America. And I'd always be like, why? What do we have to do with it? And now I get it. They hate Jews. And they know they live there too. And so America must be evil. And so there's this rising plot. God's got His plot. The devil has His plot. And there's Christians all over the earth coming up in prayer and fasting for Israel but I assure you, there is an enemy-inspired plot where they're trying to do their, you know, oh, they're, they're asking for revival. And they might not be aware of us or whatever, but, you know, certainly God's got His plot and the enemy has His plot. And ours is Jesus returning to Israel one day and the enemy is, I'm going to exterminate that people group that's under covenant so they can't enter into their destiny and so Jesus can't come back. The enemy has warped wisdom. But God's going to win, and He's got us involved in it. Okay, back to, the, back to the notes here. 
You know, you and I, we can love people. You know, you can love someone that you just met last week, and you can be moved by them, but the person you've known your whole life is just different. You have a history with them. You know, I think about my cousins I grew up with. I played with them all the time when I was a kid, known them for years and decades. There is just something about family or a friend you've known for decades. The love is just, it's deeper. It's more tried and tested and there's history. You get what I'm saying? It's not like you love them more. I mean, I don't know how you say it. It's just, the point is God has this long history beginning in Genesis with the Jewish people. And he leads them out of Egypt and, you know, through the, through the sea and cloud of, by day and fire by night and all these wilderness seasons and Babylonian captivity all the way to this day. And he says, I'm still with you. I'm still faithful to you. And I'm going to bring it all the way to the end when my son returns in glory to Jerusalem. And we're going to just stand in awe and go, you, your leadership, it takes a minute. But man, you got from there to there and everybody had free will and there was a devil and God and how did, what? And we're just going to be amazed at his wisdom, his leadership. He's just, he's pulling it all together. It's amazing. Let's go over to letter C. God is described throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Uh, as in Psalm 80, he's described as the shepherd of Israel. God is described as the shepherd of Israel, and he's leading the people like a flock. We see that in the Old Testament. We kind of sort of lose it in the New Testament. We're not really sure, and today we're not even sure, what, what do we do with Israel? Did it become the church? And God goes, that I'm still shepherding them. I'm still shepherding the Jewish people. And one day they're going to all come into Christ. They're going to all come to know me. We're going to talk about that in the next week or two. So he's described as this shepherd. He's leading them like a flock. Psalm 130, what's the heart of this shepherd? Psalm 130, the psalmist says, The Lord, His love is unfailing. I like how the NIV uses the word unfailing. Some translations say everlasting, and we're kind of like, okay, he's loved people for eternity. I get that. The Lord's love for Israel, and we know, we read their history. I mean, God put their history in a book. Not every country gets their history in the Bible. Okay? I mean, if America's history was in the Bible, we'd see a lot more of the junk. Okay? God goes, that people that you read about, who at some points were literally sacrificing their children to demons, that it got that dark, God says, I never stopped loving them. I brought them back to myself, they fell away. I brought them back to myself, they fell away. Over and over and over. And I will never stop searching out to bring them back to me. And he's doing it in our day. Paul spoke of the Gentiles. It will provoke the Jews to jealousy. There will be Christians on the earth that are moving in such a unique witness that the Jewish people will say, I want that Jesus. That's my Messiah. That's, that's you and me. 
It may happen in our community. They may say, those people, they're so weird. They're praying for us. But then someone I know had a dream and, oh my goodness, now they know Jesus. Like, we just have no idea how God could use us to bring a Jewish man or woman or child to know their Messiah, Jesus. Again, not trying to go too much into the, the overarching plan. I'm just trying to stay. what's God's heart for this people. He is like a shepherd that has unfailing love for his sheep. The sheep just run off. They, they get broken. They get you know all dirty. And Jesus runs out there, brings them back, puts them on his neck, you know, cleans them. He just does it over and over and over. And here's the thing. We would get tired of that. You know, some of you know ministry can be hard. I mean, you help people and then they break themselves. And then you help them and then they break themselves. And it's just, ah, can't you just stop doing that? We get tired. God doesn't get tired. He keeps reaching out to people. And I'm amazed. I, I mean, my emotions get all jacked up. And, you know, I get, I have unhealthy emotions. I, my commitments fail and I stop loving for a minute. And, okay, if you treat me better, I'll love you. Maybe, you know, we do that. Humans do that. God's only healthy. He's only loving. He's only committed. That's it. There's no backing out. And I love that about him. And so he looks at this people group. He, I mean, again, he looks at both Jew and Gentile with the same. He just will never stop fighting for this people, and he will win. He will receive them. Letter D, again, I'm going through this real quick because I know we don't got too much time here. This verse amazes me. This is letter D. This, uh, this is a time during Luke's Gospel where Jesus and some of his disciples were we're walking toward Jerusalem. You can kind of see it over the horizon. Kind of like if you're driving in on 74 and you can sort of see the, you're coming in from Morton, you know, you see downtown, you sort of see it. So Jesus kind of coming over the horizon, sees Jerusalem. And it says, verse 41, he saw the city and wept. Just, just looking at Jerusalem, he just starts weeping. I just think, oh my gosh, what is up with Jerusalem? Imagine coming in to the, our city and you're just so moved with love as you're driving in. You know, this might sound silly, but just like, oh my God, I love these people so much. I mean, we would just, that would be such a rare kind of thing. But when Jesus looks at his city, it moves him to tears. I mean, he just desperately loves these people and he knows what they're going to go through. And so it breaks them all the more. I mean, Jesus knew more than anyone in history what's, what the Jewish people are going to go through. And so he looks at Jerusalem. This is, I mean, this is, man, we need to do a message on, on this. But he says this, if you had known. So he's like weeping. He's like wiping tears out of his eyes. And he says, if you had known, even you, Jerusalem, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's intense. 
But what we see here is not a cold-hearted theologian saying, I know what's going to happen because you rejected me. No, he weeps. He deeply loves this people. He knows that because they rejected him, what's coming? 70 A.D. is coming. They are going to be annihilated in 70 A.D. And that nation won't exist for 2,000 years. And he knows the Holocaust is coming in World War I. He knows this is coming. And again, you look at the history of the Jewish people and you go, it's a miracle there's even one Jew on the earth today. And why did they have to go through that, God? It looks like you're so cruel. And God goes, if you knew where it was going. And we're going to talk about where it's going. The Jewish people saved in love with Jesus are going to fill the earth with the glory of God. There's going to be a revival in Jerusalem and in Israel that will far surpass anything we've ever read about. And so he's going, the, the testing and the wilderness and even the, the, the most intense seasons of history, there is a future glory that it will one day make sense, even though the severity of it is just beyond words. And so he goes, I just want you to know, I weep over this people group. I mean, Jesus is a Jew and he's weeping for his own people. But, I mean, how often do we weep for our city to get saved or to know Jesus? Or, or how often do we weep for the Jewish people? I'm like, Lord, touch me with your heart. Because, you know, we sometimes talk about being passionate. You know, I want to be passionate for Jesus. We think when we're young it means like being excited and zealous and, you know, woo. But really, passion is having his heart. And if his heart weeps for the Jewish people, if his heart weeps for Jerusalem, I want to be passionate. I want his heart. And you want his heart. So I think what God's doing is just putting this on our radar. Like, oh, I've never seen that verse before. That's intense. Imagine just looking, you know, looking over the horizon and seeing Peoria. Ah! You know, that would be strange. But that's what happened to Jesus. He just looks, and it's just like it all hits him at once. Oh! They're going to go through so much. You know, I love Jesus is just so beyond good. You know, I love the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is, uh, you know, he dies, but Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene and go, well, everybody, I know he's going to get raised from the dead. I'm God. You know, that's what I would do if, you know, if I knew everything. But what does he do? It says he wept. He wept, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, why, why are you so emotional? Can't you just skip all that mess and just do your thing? And then no one has to cry. But he goes, no, you don't understand. God, in the heart of God, there's real emotion for people. I love people in a deep way. And so, yes, I know what I'm going to do. But I, it bothers me still, even though I'm God. And so sometimes we think if we knew all the theology, then we wouldn't have to get all emotional. And God goes, no, I don't want you to just know the theology. I want you to know my heart on this. I want it to actually bother you. I want it to even anger you in some ways. I want it to make you sad because there is, there is a place in my heart where the Holocaust deeply grieved me. And I want you to understand that. And, and you know, I, I love the Jewish people. I want them to know me. And so... Lazarus, in a way, speaks of the Jewish people. They are totally dead in terms of knowing Christ, 
But He is going to resurrect the Jewish people. And they will know Him. They won't just know Him. There will be like a nation of Apostle Paul's that will be at a level beyond what we're ever going to be able to fathom right now. I mean, there's going to be not just one Apostle Paul. There's going to be multitudes. And they're going to be bringing the glory of God to the world. And, and we're going to just always be like ashamed of like how small our faith was compared to... In fact, the prophets, there's verses throughout the Old Covenant and I say Old Covenant, I mean Old Testament interchangeably. But there's verses where they say there's going to come a day where people go to cling to the sleeve of a Jewish person to teach me about God because they're going to know God so well. They're going to know Jesus so well and they're going to just have a ministry that is so powerful people from all over the world will be you know, showing up in Jerusalem. Oh, you're Jewish. Teach me. That's how it's going to be. What would be crazy if, if that hour was now? And we don't know. But when you start getting millions of people praying, like, I don't know, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, tune me into what you're doing because I have no idea. But I, 120 million people praying? Ah, that, like something's happening. One last one here. One last uh, letter E. Remember what Paul said. We're going to look at Romans 9 and 10 and 11 in the next couple of weeks as part of the theme here, but because that touches on a lot of the plan. But this is what Paul says. Remember, Paul was the, the persecutor. Paul was Jewish, but he hated Christians with, with a, I mean, a, a true demonic hatred. And he's, you know, what you would... How would you describe him today? He, he was, you know, we use the word terrorist today. He was a terrorist. He was a Christian terrorist. And he was killing Christians. He was dragging them out of houses. On the road to Damascus, it says he was breathing threats and murder. I mean, that's intense. Breathing threats and murder? Like, what does that look like? And then, boom, he got knocked by the power of God. That man was so far gone, and yet all of a sudden, now here he is on the road to Damascus. And writing to Romans, he says, here's my desire. My desire, Romans 10.1, and prayer to, for Israel is that they would be saved. So Paul has this desire in his heart. He has this prayer. In Romans 9, he says, I, I could wish that I was accursed from Christ for my brethren, He's essentially saying, God, I want the Jews to be saved so bad, my own countrymen. If you have to make me accursed to make that happen, I wish that would happen. And it's like, Paul, that's a little overkill, man. Seriously, the Holy Spirit puts this in the Bible. I've wanted people to get saved, but not like, Lord, if I want them to get saved so bad, if I have to be unsaved to get them saved, like, Paul, you're at another level. But this former persecutor, who hated and killed Christians, he's saying these things. Unbelievable. So that means you could be that far off and, and brought to this point where God puts His heart in you. And that's the heart I want. That's the heart we want. is just this intense love for His people and His purposes. So we see Israel near and dear to God's heart. This is the conclusion. God treasures Israel. He is the shepherd of Israel. He has this unfailing, unceasing love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. In other words, it doesn't stop. 
That's who God is. His love never stops. We see Jesus wept over Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul was praying, desiring the salvation of Israel. Even if you had to make me accursed to make that happen, do it, God. And God's like, I don't have to do that, Paul, but I appreciate that. And so just do you see this? The, this is one just very brief, systematic look at the heart of God toward this people. But hopefully it connects us a little more. To, to what he's feeling and what he's wanting to do right now. Because, th again, this is so off our radar, usually. But he's saying, church, I want you to know this is very important to me right now. Israel's in a very, they're in a crisis moment. And I want you to be praying and I want you to have my heart. And I, I want you to, to learn the plan and what, what's going to happen. But love them first and foremost. And who knows who may cross your path. As you begin to pray, Lord, just give me your heart. This is what I've been doing. A minimum hour a day, I turn on the prayer room at IHOP and I just join in with their set. I sit there on my couch and I just, Lord, send revival to Jerusalem. Lord, give me your heart for the Jewish people. Spare the children, Lord. All these prayers just come to my heart. And you never know who you're going to connect with. Um, I remember years ago, I remember after a morning prayer meeting, I just like went to McDonald's. And I randomly, there was this young lady at McDonald's who just started working there. And I was like, you don't look like you're from around here. And she sounded, you know, foreign, sounded Middle Eastern. She's like, yeah, I just moved here from Israel. What? How, how did you end up in Peoria, Illinois from Israel of all places? And she just started sharing. She was in high school and uh, just came to the area, you know, doesn't know the Lord, but just what the, you know, and who knows who we may influence or who you may talk to as God, you know, softens your heart and just puts this on your radar. I tried to do this as quick as we could, get us done by nine o'clock, but maybe one or two or three questions and then we'll just close out. Is there anything that I shared that maybe you're like, oh, I don't know about that, that I could clarify and then we'll just, we'll close in prayer together. Did I, was that hand first back there? I, I want to go. Was there a hand over here? Okay. Joy, did you have a question? Yes, that is there. Yes, you're correct. Yeah, I think that that would take some time to develop. In the sense of Christ offering salvation to everyone, you know, John three sixteen, God so loved the world. We'd have to we'd have to kind of have a lengthier discussion of what that means theologically. I don't think God looks down and says, "I hate that guy." Oh, they're never going to get saved. I think there's more to it than just how it reads. But I just I would I would I would yeah. Sometimes we read that and we go, "Oh, God, that's a little mean." But he offers salvation to anyone. He really does. And he, he desperately loves everyone. Will, ev will everyone respond? No. Does the wrath of God touch their life? Yes. The implications of that are frightening? Yes. Uh, is that traditional Christian doctrine? Yes, it is. I mean, that's not something way out there. It's something we don't like to talk about. 
But we see that God is so kind and merciful, but there's also the severity piece. And so, yeah, I don't want to go too much into that, but it's, it's very real. Uh, there, the gospel is an urgency type of message. God wants everybody to be saved because the alternative is hell. And hell is, uh, is, Jesus himself described it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> don't want to be there ever. And so I want to just spend my life calling as many as will listen to, to follow this man, and uh, whether, whether Jew or Gentile. But God has just incredible love for, for planet Earth. And he proved that on the cross. Other thoughts or questions? Anything I might have said that's confusing? Yeah, Fernando. Say that one more time so, so I got you clear. Okay, I'm going to see if I follow. So, why do some people not believe? Ooh. Oh man, I might need some help on this one. We all have this free will, number one, and but also we have these sinful desires, you know. And so, just even though Jesus offers the greatest gift in world history, some people just say, "No thanks, I want to live my own life." And so they, instead of reaching to the fountain of life-giving waters, they reach for this broken cistern that just. You know, which is religion, which is anything but Christ, any other religion, any other cult or whatever. It's the, you know, Jeremiah says like a broken cistern, just everything leaks out. Um, but Jesus is just this just fountain of life that just keeps, it'll spring up from within us. And so I, you know, sometimes I ask, how am I even in this thing? How did I get Jesus? You're amazing. You pulled even this guy in. And, and, but he's going to do a work in our generation. Many people are going to jump in. But, man, I, we're, we're complicated. And sometimes we would rather have our sin than the greatest gift that is him. And so, I don't know if that helped Fernando, but good question. Fernando, all I can say is you may have planted seeds. You did plant seeds. Who knows how those will grow? That, that person's probably thinking about it. Like, wow, why would that guy say that to me? 
You know, so all I can say is we don't we don't know why some people what they believe or why they believe it. But a lot of people are more close to conversion than we think. They just need to be presented with facts and, and insight. Some people just they've never considered it. And so keep going, keep doing that. And, you know, sometimes it seems complicated, but then they think about it for a while. And that's what happened to me. Like I heard the gospel and then the lights came on one day. I mean, I'd, I'd gone to church. I went to Catholic church my whole life. But then I heard the gospel when I was 18. And I'm not, not to say you can't hear the gospel at a Catholic church. I mean, it's, that's not the thing. But it's just it came on like the lights came on for the first time when I was 18 at a hockey camp. And I remember later that day, I was like, why? i got to, like, really do this. And, and then I was in. I prayed my own prayer. So that person could be, you know, thinking about it and considering it. So that's a good reminder to, for us to be, to be a witness. Amen. Amen. Come on, this guy knows his word. <laughs> Any other thoughts or questions? Anything I can clarify? We're good, okay. Well, thank you for hearing the what God put on my heart. And just, just to close us out tonight, what, I, what I'd like for us to do, just someone next to you, yeah, someone pray with the transformer. Um, but just if you could, just ask the neighbor next to you or behind you or somewhere near you, just pray with them, ask them if there's anything you could pray with them about. We'll just take a minute to pray for one another, and then we'll just officially close at that point. So find a neighbor and, uh, and then pray for a moment and we'll be done. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.